This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. Others call it non-dual awareness, liberation, enlightenment, or spiritual awakening. It is the heart of all spiritual traditions. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning, this is Marshall Davis. The inspiration for this episode came from an email that I received from a spiritual friend in Melbourne, Australia. He sent me an interpretation of Jesus' parable of the two foundations, which was very insightful. So it got me thinking about other teachings that Jesus gave on the same truth. So I thought I would do an episode on it. I'll start by, by reading the parable that Jesus gave and go from there. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Everyone who hears these words of mine and heeds them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not heed them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is a parable about the one and the many. He is pointing us to the one, non-dual reality, symbolized by the rock as a foundation of life. And it's about whether we are grounded in that bedrock of reality or the shifting sands of dualistic appearances. In a few weeks, my wife and I will be heading down to the east coast of Florida for a few weeks. It's a way to cut short our long, snowy New England wet winter and get a jump on spring. The area we visit in Florida was affected by Hurricane Ian this last fall, and the apartment that we rent is in a a low building, a two-story building, which was thankfully not damaged by the storm, but a lot of other buildings along that whole stretch of beach were greatly impacted by the erosion of the shoreline. The storm beat against the sand and undermined several large condo buildings. And they were deemed unsafe, unstable. People had to evacuate because the waves had eaten away at the foundation. Now, such beachfront damage is only going to get worse as sea levels rise. I was thinking this is a perfect modern example of the parable of Jesus. If you build a building on the beach, then eventually it's going to be destroyed when the beach is eroded. The same with the shifting sands of temporal appearances, which people mistake for some type of solid physical reality when it's not. The rock that serves as a foundation in Jesus' parable is the bedrock of non-dual reality, the singular and only reality. In this story, it is contrasted with sand, 
which is actually composed of millions of tiny grains of rock, so it's a wonderful metaphor about the one and the many, one reality of non-dual awareness of or the splintered realities of individual consciousness. Jesus' story immediately made me think of another saying of Jesus, which was mentioned in a, another email by my Australian friend. It is an account of Peter's famous profession of faith. At that time, Jesus was with his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi, right at the base of Mount Hermon, which is a 9,000-foot mountain with a rocky summit, much like the summits of our White Mountains here in New Hampshire. And this mountain is where the transfiguration of Jesus took place, when Jesus took three of his disciples up to the rocky summit, and there was transfigured before them. But before that, Jesus was standing with his disciples at the foot of the mountain, and he asked them who people said that he was <clears throat> and who they thought he was. And Simon gave his famous profession of faith. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies that this insight was given to Simon by divine revelation. And then he changes Simon's name. From Simon to Peter, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against this episode. The statement that was made is significant. He's in Caesarea Philippi. He's at the base of this rocky mountain. And quite possibly he's standing near the mouth of a sacred cave that is known locally as the Gate of Hades. Today this site is called Banyas, and tourists flock to it. Out of the cave gushes one of the four sources of the Jordan River, and at that cave's mouth stood a temple of Caesar, who was known and was called the Son of God, which is why I think Jesus chose that location for this conversation. Now there's so much symbolism here, with the temple and the four sources that feed into that one river, the one in the many, but the most important symbolism for my purpose today is the rock. You stand there today and it's just a huge rock wall with a cave entrance there. And from the base of the mountain comes a torrent of water that cannot undermine the rock. Just like in the other parable where it says that the water and the wind does not affect the rock or anything built on the rock. There are three Greek words that can be translated rock. One is lithos, often translated stone. This is the word Jesus used when he said, What man is there among you who, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? So you can kind of see it's about the size of, of, of bread. Now, Lithos can be small, or they can big and be big enough to, to build a building with. Jesus used this word when he predicted the destruction of the temple, saying, Assuredly, I tell you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So that's one word. Another word for rock is petros. We get the word in English petrify from it. In classical Greek, it refers to a rock bigger than the lithos. It can be translated stone, or rock, or even ledge, or cliff. 
in the New Testament, this is the word that Jesus chose as a nickname for Simon. He calls him Petros, which is transliterated as Peter. And then Jesus continues, and he says, And on this rock I will build my church. But he doesn't use Petros there again. So he's doing a play on words, and instead he uses the feminine word Petra, which means bedrock, sometimes called living rock, matrix, you could even call it. Petros is a boulder, Petra is bedrock. Now this distinction is important to understanding and interpreting this passage. This verse is not about literally constructing a building on rock. Although Peter misunderstood it this way, in the scene that's immediately following this in the Gospels, known as the Transfiguration, they're on top of Mount Hermon, and Peter wants to build three tabernacles there, on top of the summit, until the divine voice from heaven corrects him. So it's not building, about building a building, neither is it about making Peter the first pope, as the Roman Catholics say. He is in fact saying that the church is not based on Petros, but on Petra. It's about the difference between Petros and Petra, the parts and the whole, the many and the one. Jesus is saying that his church is to be built on the rock of non-duality. Now, a lot of scholars think that this verse is a later edition because it mentions the word church, ecclesia, in Greek, and that might be so. But it's also possible that he is using this word to refer to a simple community of disciples that he had, his twelve disciples, that he wandered around the countries with, and that he was not talking about the later religious institution. The practice of spiritual communities led by a spiritual leader, was well known in biblical times, from the wandering bands of prophets in King Saul's day, to the monastic communities of Elijah and Elisha, to the Essenes of Qumran, with whom Jesus would have been very familiar. So Jesus could have been talking about a spiritual community. Not an institution, but just a simple community, just like the Buddha talked about the Sangha, his spiritual community. Jesus was saying that his spiritual community was to be based on Petra, living rock, the bedrock of the one non-dual reality. And this word Petra is the same word that Jesus used previously in that parable about the man who built his house on the rock and not on the sand. Now we see this symbolism cropping up again in the stories of the death and the burial of Jesus. Jesus was said to be crucified on, on an outcrop of bedrock just outside the wall of Jerusalem that looked like a skull. That's why they called it Golgotha. And you can go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre today in Jerusalem and you can touch that bedrock, touch the Petra. The Gospel of Jesus is founded on the bedrock of non-duality. It's on this bedrock of unitive reality that the individual man, Jesus, dies. 
you know, points to the fact that when in contact with non-duality, separation, the separate individual dissipates, dies. The death of the man Jesus points to the death of the individual self, the body, the ego, on the holy ground of non-dual reality. And then we can move on in the Gospels to the burial of Jesus. The story says that the body of Jesus was buried in a cave carved out of Petra, the text says, bedrock. So the burial of Jesus is symbolically returning the body to the one non-dual reality at death. Just as the body returns to the elements, so does our separate existence return to the one. And then we have the resurrection of Christ. Now it's important to note that in none of the Gospels does the body of Jesus walk out of the tomb. We don't have a scene like that in any of the Gospels. And there's a reason for that. Because that would represent an individual return to duality. But instead, in the stories, the tomb is opened by moving away a stone, a, a lithos, by the way, to find the tomb empty. And that's the message. The emptiness is Christ, the non-dual reality. It is clearly saying that the separate Jesus has become once one again with this emptiness and with this Petra, the bedrock of non-dual reality. In the later resurrection appearances are manifestations of this non-dual reality. Christ is the Petra. New Testament epistles use this word Petra to refer to Christ. The Apostle Paul calls Christ the Petra, the rock. And interpreting the wilderness wandering of the Hebrews allegorically, Paul writes, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, Petra, that's the word he uses, the same spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock, Petra, was Christ. And Paul uses this word again for Christ in the letter to the Romans. When he writes, as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, lithos, a stone of stumbling, and a rock, Petra, of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Here, dualistic reality and unitive reality are combined to refer to Jesus as both the historical man and the universal Christ. In short, the metaphor of rock in both the teachings of Jesus and later epistles refer to the bedrock of non-dual reality, which Christian theologian and philosopher Paul Tillich would later call the ground of being. This is the rock of non-duality. That rock is Christ. And that is it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. 
There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ. Thank you.